In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McMinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McMinney. Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he wouldn't let the Israelites go out of his country. Exodus 11 verses 9 and 10. For many homeschooling years, we depicted this familiar story of the plagues wrought on Egypt with pictures posters and stories. My children loved drawing what they thought were hundreds of flies, frogs and sick cattle. I felt sorry for Moses and Aaron having to suffer and wait, having to perform miracles and signs at the whim of both Pharaoh and it seemed God. Broken promises abounded on the human side as God hardened Pharaoh's heart again and again in order to multiply his wonders in Egypt. Sounds like me when I doubt the Lord. Oh yes, guilty as charged. I ask for sign after sign, and I'm always rewarded, but I fall into doubt again, as if God is hardening my heart so he can show his wonders to me over and over again. I realize when I read stories like these from the Old Testament that there's a battle going on in my favor between God and the evil forces that play up my doubt, hoping to turn me forever from God. Aaron and Moses had to suffer the wrath of the Egyptian ruler so that God could show his might and drive his point home once and for all. They believed in God's might. Egypt didn't. Moses got righteously angry, not with God, but with Pharaoh and his stubborn pride. Spiritual warfare was abounding as the battle raged in heaven. And who won in the end? Let's remember to recognize that our real battles are not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. The next time we doubt and ask God to prove his existence, let's rejoice that he can and will again and again, because he loves us too much to lose us. Good morning and good afternoon, and welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week, Dr. Marlene McMillan, is returning to speak to us about how to raise our children to be leaders without the herd mentality. I'll talk more about financial worries in the homeschool, treats to be had on a long journey home, how our youngest is faring with the culture shock and the purchase of two cars. I'm drinking water again today with a few cherries on the side, not a traditional elevenses, but modified for the heat of Texas. I hope you're sitting comfortably or perhaps running around with me plugged into your ear. Good morning, Tina. Let's get talking for an hour. I hear you thinking, Elevensies? What's Elevensies? We love our tea breaks in England. So Elevensies marks the time of day when the tea trolley is pulled out, no matter where you are, school, factory floor, the office, 
theatre rehearsal or home. And everyone takes a mid-morning 15-minute cup of PG tips break with a biscuit at around 11 a.m. Neighbours used to pop in on each other at this time. That's before everyone was at work. Therefore, this is 11z's time and a valid excuse for a bit of a sit-down and a nice cup of tea and a chat. I'm very proud of our youngest. She started her job at Starbucks exactly a week ago. After a lot of hoop jumping, she was classified as an international transfer and attained continuous service to include her year in England. So now she can get benefits, an important step towards independence. Her shifts start at 4.30 in the morning. I hear her get up at 3.50. Are there really two 3.50s in a day? But she gets finished at 10.30 or so and loves it. The store's adjacent to a university campus right in an affluent part of town, so she has classier clientele than the Harley-Davidson bikers of yore. I'm sure she'll be bringing me home stories to go with my weekly frappuccino. She's such a good star barista. And she arrived home broke. This is nothing new in her life. So we made a trip to the bank to set her up an account. And I was struck by the vast difference between customer relations in America versus England. Whenever we went to a bank in England to set up an account or apply for a credit card or a loan, we felt as though we were common criminals out to cheat Queen, Country and the Bank of England. The staff were unfriendly, abrupt, and they always appeared suspicious. We had nothing to hide, but by the time we'd been grilled and checked and peered at by managers and other officers, we just wanted to slink out of there empty-handed. But we couldn't. I needed my bank accounts. The fact that we owned our property seemed to be against us, no credit rating, but we couldn't get a credit card or a small personal loan to aid us on our way to building credit in England. It was just a catch-22 situation. Excuse me. The fear of money laundering verges on paranoia there. However, something good came out of this. I learned how to use and like my debit card. We found quite a difference when we went into my local bank here in Garland to open Malia's account. We were treated like very special clients, which we could potentially be. Who knows? I may win the little lottery one day. Opening an account was so pleasant. And she was approved for a 0% interest for a year, free, yeah, 0% interest for a year, credit card. But she couldn't get a loan for her much-needed car. So we ended up buying the car with a promise that she'll pay us back. What good sports we are. The logistics of sharing a car between three with her leaving for work so early in the morning were impossible. And I'm sitting here looking outside and I'm thinking I'm missing my walks, even though I was striding out in the rain with my umbrella on wellies in the last couple of days. I wasn't alone. As a nation, we're pretty silly. Here, with the temperature hovering over 100 degrees every day, even the most diehard Texan, I'm talking about my cowboy, won't go out for a stroll, let alone a power walk through the woods. What woods? No bluebells, blackberry hedgerows, or even stinging nettle pathways to stride along saying hello to the odd dog soaked in skin. Somehow exchanging my country lanes for the air-conditioned moor doesn't inspire me, so I'm afraid my body and me will have to abstain from walking for the time being. And on the subject of homeschooling, since I'm the sociable homeschooler, I don't know if I actually sat down and put pen to paper to consider whether we could afford to have children or to homeschool them for that matter. After all, 
counting the financial costs does have its merits, but it isn't everything as I discovered. If any of my aunts or my mother had taken my grandmother's advice, they would have been beyond childbearing age and on the brink of retirement before considering themselves financially able to have children. I would not be here chatting to you about my life about to change. Thankfully, my mother's interpretation of the sage advice was much more parent-friendly since she had a desire to see grandchildren before turning 60. If you wait until you can afford to have children, you never will. When my blue-eyed cowboy and I hovered on the verge of changing our lives forever for the second time in our short marriage, we already had four children under six. The sage advice took on a different, more tangible expression. And on the eve of our entry into homeschooling, the misquoted words bounced back at us, cleverly edited to, if you wait until you can afford to do anything, then you never will. I closed my eyes and said, why not? And took the plunge. That's the only way to jump off the high board of life into the deep unknown of homeschool. We were the perfect American couple. Well, I was English and still spoke with a plum in my mouth. So I suppose we were the perfect Anglo-American married couple. We attended an Episcopal church, just right for the mixed religious backgrounds we came from. Catholic and Methodist Baptist. We had successful independent careers, saw several films a week, subscribed to the arts and ate at good restaurants frequently. We had a house in suburbia with a dead end, just five houses down. There were wild woods beyond, probably inhabited by bears and crocodiles, definitely the breeding grounds for venomous snakes and fire ants. Behind our house were scrubby floodplains and a creek that crept to our back fence 60 feet away during the rainy season. If it wasn't for the streets of brand new houses immediately surrounding us, the vast flats of farmland sometimes charmed me into thinking we were in the country on mornings when I went out to survey my property and found cows grazing in our front garden or wandering aimlessly along the broad boulevard. Gosh, that was a long time ago. Coyotes howled at night and owls screeched and hooted. Raccoons, armadillos and opossums frequented our little bit of green belt. We loved escaping from our demanding jobs each evening and enjoyed being at home over the weekend. These were the unplugged times no one could connect with us digitally when we were off the clock and babies hadn't entered the picture yet. But we were newlyweds and the inevitable happened and 11 months later our perfect couplehood was upended. Despite our affluence, we had counted the cost at this time. We would, have, we would have waited, but my biological clock was ticking along and my body surrendered to the multiply and be fruitful demands of my Old Testament God without much of a struggle. Four children rapidly turned us like a wish into the perfect American family. Well, although the plum was fading slightly, I still had the problem making myself understood in restaurants when I asked for water. And I was hanging on to my British citizenship valiantly, so I suppose we were now technically the perfect Anglo-American family. Our lives were full to overflowing. We had a full-time childminder while we worked because naturally our jobs came first, which chronologically they did, right? Then we carved out time for ourselves, which demanded regular babysitters who had an easy time of it as the children went to bed at 6.30 and were asleep by 7 before we even went out. We had read reports in parenting magazines that time spent with our offspring should be based on quality, not quantity, putting the minds of working and socially active parents at ease. We were assured that our children needed time away from their homes and families 
in order to find themselves. Among our peers who were career-orientated as we were, the rule of thumb for successful perfect parenting was to squeeze family time in whenever we could and make it count. Extracurricular activities and enriching commitments made it obvious to us that ours was a popular family with never a minute to spare. We became experts at organising carpools to suit our growing needs. So immersed were we in this busy state that for nine years or so, we shrugged off comments of, why bother having children if you hardly ever see them? I was fulfilled in every way. I provided my mother with the grandchildren she wanted to love from across the Atlantic. I had a demanding upper management job and a full social life. And it looks as though I've got to go on a break. So I will be right back with my guest. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The Mary Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millett, at 11, 10 Central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Turning to my show, having joined me two years ago to talk about the difference between freedom and liberty, Dr. Marley McMillan is the mother of seven children, all of whom were homeschooled through high school. Two have graduated college and one is currently in college. She's spoken many times at state capital on education issues, especially those dealing with maintaining liberty to homeschool. Dr. Marlene teaches how the Bible relates to our culture. author of a number of books, 
including 31 plus blatantly ignored causes of poverty, which is going to be one of the topics of our conversation today. She's also released a course on liberty and a prayer guide that deals with the healing of the brokenheartedness of a nation. Welcome to my show, Dr. Marlene. I'm so glad that you found the time to join me again this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. I think we have some things that everyone will be glad they tuned in for. Well, good, good. Well, um, first off, uh, let me just ask you how you are, because it's been two years since we've spoken. Well, I've been speaking around uh, not just the United States, but in a few other countries, and I have international teleseminars, and we're releasing another book, so it's been very busy and just absolutely wonderful. Well, good. And you say, you told me um, during the break that you still had five children under your roof, but they were helping you with some of your projects. So that sounds good. Yes, yes. Well, homeschoolers love at least having their children in their hearts, no matter where they are in the world. And so, uh, you know, we have just been really blessed uh, to have everybody work together. And it's been very nice. Well, good. So give me the ages of your children again. They're from 34 down to 19, and one of them's a Marine, and uh, so he's really one of those that, you know, thinks for himself and goes off. He's a Marine officer, and uh, a couple of them or several of them have graduated from college now, and uh, that, but they work in the book publishing and are leaders in different ministries and other projects that they have going on, entrepreneurial and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just making their way. Yeah, well, you said something. You said that you raised your seven children and none of them have the herding mentality. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, we have a a move in the the whole method that people are educated. Uh, The way people are being educated today is to make them think they're thinking independently, make them believe they're independent thinkers, while all they're really doing is thinking the politically correct way or the approved way of thinking. And so what I really deal with is how do you determine how to think for yourself? How do you learn how to draw an independent conclusion and have enough character to stand alone, even if that is not popular? So, um, Can you give us an, an example of how perhaps um, somebody might be thinking that they're thinking independently, but they're really not? Well, there's, um, okay, let me, let me uh, let's, let's put it this way. When you send a child to college and the professor says uh, that there's a certain worldview mm-hmm. and you don't agree with it, if you can't stand up in that classroom and express yourself, then there's a tendency just to shrink, uh, you know, into the background or a tendency to, have, to be more afraid of what the grade will be or the outcome or being liked by everybody else in the classroom. But you can be very likable. You can be one of the the most fun people to be around, one of the most exciting people in the classroom, and still stand for what you believe. Mm -hmm. So a a lot of it has to do with that uh, being able to take a stance. Uh, But I just see this every day with even people parroting what's on the news. And I'll say, well, where did you get that idea? You know, how did you arrive at that conclusion? How many books have you read on that subject, or how much re- independent research have you done? 
And and as soon as something is considered, oh, well, we don't have to talk about that anymore, uh, then you know that the brain has disengaged and they're thinking with their emotions. And mm-hmm. that's not how we're made to think. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right about that because um, news is very easily um accessed these days because you, you just it just whether you want to read it or not it's thrown at you every time you you know sort of sign into your computer and sign on to your email there's always something that pops up and i i find that I, i'll read one thing and then i'll go off and i'll try and say, find the same story written from different viewpoints that so can get a better idea of what's really going on and um you know well, that, that is that the kind of thing that you're you're thinking about teaching the children well, what you, what you deal with is teaching them logic and mm-hmm. teaching them to uh, question, why is that true? See, mm-hmm. the, many homeschool parents or many parents just in general, you know, are so um, afraid of the word why. And when a child asks why, all they're saying is explain the universe to me. Tell me how things work. Why, unless it's done in a rebellious spirit, why is not a rebellious word? Why is a word that's begging for more information? And so as children get older, if they're told to quit asking why, you know, don't, don't keep asking. Because it, is, it takes a lot of energy to answer their questions. But if you start teaching them to ask, well, why, why is that true? Who says? How do you know? Um, as you do that, then you also will help them start to see, well, the, the argument that's being presented, there's, there's two sides of the story is how it's being presented in a debate or, uh, or a television interview. But in reality, it's the same worldview and some minute, meaningless difference is being debated. While the true major problem you know the real the real contrast between good and evil, truth and light, um, you know, darkness and light is not even being brought forward. Mm-hmm. So, teaching them to think is a whole lot of the fun of having children. Now you have to be prepared because they're going to come back and use it on you. So yeah. you better be able to defend yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk. You also talk a little bit about the brokenheartedness of um, a nation. And I was reading a book with one of my children about um, the economics um, of America, and it was looking at it from both political, major political parties. And really, basically, what it came down to is, I mean, both the parties were dealing with the same problem, which was an almost bankrupt, if not a bankrupt America, and how they just did not want to stand up. No leader wanted... um, you know, to balance the budget because they would get such a bad rap and it would take so many years that by the time it became balanced, it might be 10 years and somebody else would be in power and they'd get all the glory. That's exactly right. And what we've had happen is see, you only get the kind of government that you really deserve. The people that we elect to office are reflective of the people that elect them, of the voters. And so the problem with a republic is that eventually the people figure out that they can vote themselves, uh, you know, more money from the public treasury. And you hit a tipping point where you have more people that are government dependent rather than being able to be financially independent. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And and at that point, you have a when that's where we are now as a nation in the balance. We're going to have to make a choice between doing the hard thing, which means taking control of our financial house as a nation, or facing extreme consequences. Whatever pain looks terrible and unbearable at this moment mm-hmm. uh, is nothing in comparison to what can happen if we don't develop the. Uh, fortitude and um, character enough to make a good choice. Well, and Dr. Marlene, don't tell me that any of these leaders came from households where their parents had no budgets, you know, ran their credit cards up to the hilt, were constantly in debt, always said yes when they wanted something. So what, what is going on with these, with these leaders allowing the nation to do that? Well, there is a uh, economic philosophy, and we're not going to get into the real deep things of that, but I have to state this. There's an economic philosophy called Keynesianism, and Keynesianism is the opposite of a biblical view of economics. And, and the scriptures say the borrower is servant to the lender. And mm-hmm. you know, no matter where I speak in the world, I've never found somewhere where the principle that the borrower is servant to the lender doesn't work. But in this modern Keynesian way of thinking, that's John Maynard Keynes, K-E-Y-N-E-S, in that thinking, they believe that you can spend your way out of debt. And they believe that the rules that apply to you and I and all of our listeners as a family, as each of our families, the rules of economics do not apply to nations. Mm. And it's a very prideful, we are above, in essence, the very immutable laws of the universe. Mm. And so a lot of those politicians, and I use the word politician, not statesman, a lot of those politicians believe that they are doing something good for us because we are too um, immature, too unschooled, and too um, ignorant of world and global economics to know that, um, you know, that you can't spend more money than you have. Well, I know, and you and I both probably taught our children the same way on subjects like that because it is a big issue trying to globally encompass and understand what is going on um, financially. But I used to say to my children, now, we can bring it down to the family. You know, if I, if you owe me money and you don't pay me back and all of, you know, what happens? And we just kind of took it from there and did family, neighborhood, and that. And That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, it's very simple for a child to see if if the uh, breadwinner, if they don't get their paycheck or mm-hmm. that the neighbor or friend owes the money and they don't get paid, then that means that the children don't get paid or we can't take a trip or we can't pay for the music lessons. You don't have to go real far to figure out eventually you have to face reality. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's what's going on in our nation. And in the process, we have a lot of people that are very uh, just tragically hurting right now. I mean, we do have a brokenheartedness in our nation. And whenever you go against the, what would be called the immutable laws of the universe, in other words, they apply whether you want to call them, say they're from God or not, they still, they apply. And they're really from the Bible, whether people want to acknowledge that or not. 
Okay, Dr. Marlene, we're going on a quick break. We'll be back in about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, the holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness, how emotions are directly related to physical illness, and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm talking to Dr. Marlene McMillan. We've been talking about um, herd mentality and um, growing independence in our children and and helping them to look at um, pieces of news and um, information that is given to them in a logical manner so that they can fully understand um, what they're being told. And um, we were talking about the state of um, the finances in America, I guess, the budget. And... um, Dr. Marlene has written a book called Poverty um, on Poverty called 31 Plus Blatantly Ignored Causes of Poverty. And, you know, I was wondering, um, does America look as though she's going down that road as one of the causes? Are we, are we in the midst of one of the causes? Well, what we have going on is we've changed from having the attitudes of an entrepreneur, the attitudes of self-responsibility that lead to liberty, and we've taken on, it's, it's now become socially acceptable to have an attitude that will lead you to poverty. Hmm. And it's just so amazing. I mean, poverty is an attitude. It is a mindset. And you have to be mentally poor and emotionally poor and spiritually poor 
before you become externally poor. And so all of these things, there's a cause and there's an effect. There's a reason they happen. Mm-hmm. But, the, but worldwide, poverty has become an industry. And the uh, industry of poverty, even when I was going to write a book, I, the book originally was going to be the solutions to world poverty. Mm-hmm. Now, you might say that's a big topic. You know, how do you think you can write on that? Mm-hmm. But it's the basic principles that apply to your family, to, you know, your city, county, nation, uh, to any country of the world. But what I found is that I couldn't put the word solution in the cover, or I was told that the world poverty market would never be interested in the book because you get more of what you talk about. And so there's an industry of poverty that profits from keeping people poor. And that is tragic, tragic because these are individuals' lives and futures that we're talking about. So you're not – when I think of poverty, I think of the physical poverty. But you mentioned that um, to reach that point, you start – or don't, not necessarily – that you go through mental, emotional, and spiritual poverty – and then the physical poverty or external, did you call it external poverty takes over? Yes. And what we have going on is as a nation, the United States has been very prosperous and the, there's reasons to that. There's been an attitude here where we look at the person who succeeds, kind of the old Horatio Alger books where there's stories that inspire young children to say, I can go out and no matter how poor I am now, no matter what, where my parents came from, whether my parents speak English or not, or no matter what obstacles we have, if I get out there and I work hard and I learn, you know, what I'm meant to do, I find my place where I can serve others. Even like in The Millionaire Next Door, if people haven't read The Millionaire Next Door, uh, that book is people, there. that's stories of people who did dirty jobs or jobs other people didn't want to do and became millionaires because they were willing to do what others wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And so those stories about how to make a difference became inspirational, and we filled our children with dreams of living a better life. And and more money is not always better, but I'm saying of, you know, getting out, and making their way, finding what they were cut out to do, and making it succeed. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with success is you have to fail a few times along the way. If you've mm-hmm. ever read uh, Sam Walton's book, uh, he, there's a book about Sam Walton called Made in America. And in that book, Sam says, I failed more than any other person. I've made more mistakes than anybody that's ever lived. And, of course, what did he do? He made more money than most everybody, too. Well, so, your failures help you. If you are allowed to fail. But as if soon as you bring in a system, you know, as soon as you bring in a system that, that sets things up where supposedly everyone has a safety net and no one ever fails, that sounds very compassionate. But in the end, it's not. So that's why one of the uh, statements that I teach from is, the first act of compassion is an accurate definition. We don't stop and define what is compassion. Mm-hmm. And, and so leaving people with a worldview 
that will make everyone equally poor is not compassion. It really is another form of theft. Mm. So how, how, how is poverty an industry? Well, poverty is an industry because it um, keeps people basically into a system, whether, whether they're plugged into the welfare system. It used to be that if someone needed welfare, they had to really be desperate. They had to be desperate enough to go find out how, how, how would they get benefits, and then their goal was to only get them for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Now we have whole segments of government that have bureaucrats that work for those segments that, uh, whose whole job is justified by the more people that they keep on welfare. Mm-hmm. So now there's billboards and advertisements and in stores in certain parts of, of the country and certain uh, uh, segments of the cities where there's uh, literature about how to get on be- how to get on benefits, you know, how to receive welfare, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all stigma associated with it has been removed. Now, I have a lot of compassion for people who need care, but it's really the job of the church and not civil government in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then, when you have this um, industry, this bureaucratic poverty industry, then there's no encouragement to teach people very basic things. In fact, in my book about the causes of poverty, the reason that it's called blatantly ignored causes of poverty is because these are the things in this book that that are either free or very inexpensive solutions to poverty. But one of the causes of poverty is number, in number 11 is resenting the rich. Well, welfare is based uh, and welfare dependency is based on resenting the rich, mm-hmm. on saying, well, those other people make too much money, so you deserve some of it. Mm-hmm. And that attitude itself, resentment, repels wealth. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, when you look at this, uh, the book deals with very basic things. It's written in, in large print. I mean, you can almost read the book across the room, the print's so big. But... Even the number five is focusing on the problem and not the solution. Mm-hmm. If you keep talking about the increase of poverty, you're, look, you're focusing on creating more poverty. Mm-hmm. If you start looking at what are the solutions and you start giving people hope again and letting them see how much talent they have. One of the places I go during the week is to a Bible study in a very... Um, what would what would you say lower lower class part of town mm-hmm. and that bible wonderful people i mean the world comes to this bible study it's amazing how many people come to this bible study and of all different races all different socioeconomic groups and it's the bible study's not real far from the salvation army well as i get to know a lot of the homeless people or the people that are now living there they are talented I mean, we're talking about a pool of talent that's just absolutely amazing. And yet every one of those people has a tragic story of how they got derailed from what could have been a life of high productivity. Well, are you going to leave them there, or is this a stepping stone? And the Salvation Army and ministries like that, they want to be a stepping stone to get people turned around. But the welfare system is against that, um, you know, in, in a regular basis. 
Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you how do you break? How do you change that? How do you change something that you have grown up with and you're used to, and all of a sudden it's not there anymore, like the welfare system in England? Because we can go to the doctor and don't pay a thing. And I think that everybody needs to pay something if they can, even if it's only five pounds a visit, just to make it not quite, you know, just to give you a vested interest, I suppose. You know, you're, you're parting with some of your money so they're getting completely free. But how would they, how on earth would you change the system? I know you, it sounds like you've got to start with the upper echelons of government. And, well, and you, work really, down, but. you really have to start with the, the average person. You have to start with the, the uh, and, and in many ways it starts in the churches. I mean, it, it's the church that has the responsibility of knowing what the Bible says about money. And what the Bible says about money applies to everyone. So the answer to poverty, whether it's put in those terms or not, is actually found uh, I mean, it's really the church's responsibility to teach these things. And yet in most countries where there's a lot of welfare, the churches are helping the people become more government-dependent instead of become more God-dependent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the things. When, when you start dealing with this, you really have to start working with people one-on-one mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. helping them decide, you know, even if everybody else, is going to be limited. See, welfare limits a person's value. It's having someone else to say what you are worth. Mm. And you have to have a person come to a point to realize that they're worth more. And I don't mean that they don't have every human being has innate human worth. But when you start talking about why does a, why does the uh, basketball player or the football player make more money than the person who uh, is the valet at the hotel mm-hmm. or than the person who makes the beds at the hotel. Well, what's the reason? Well, somehow economically there's a system that people are willing to pay for and rewards those professional ball players. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a value system everybody likes or not is not the issue. So, but at the same time, you have to come to a point to say, you know, I have something to contribute. What can I contribute to society? How can I serve other people in a way that they're willing to pay? And not just willing to pay, but they want to pay. They want the information I have that they don't feel, I mean, when somebody buys one of, one of my books even, I don't want them to feel like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I've almost had to do that. You want them to feel blessed. Right, we're going on a short break. If you can come back for about five minutes, Dr. Marlene, that would be great. Okay. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. 
Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togenet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopreek. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better. To make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Dr. Marlene, when you go out and you um, talk at your seminars and um, do your, your travels, um, you talk about the church being responsible for um, taking these people who um, have maybe um, had a crisis in their lives and everything's gone to pieces and they're, they're maybe getting benefits to turn, help them turn their lives around. Um, you're, you're talking to churches about this. I mean, what, what is the response? Are they, are they working well, on that? Even last fall, I got to speak in inner city, Washington, DC and inner city, Philadelphia. And, you know, some folks that would be from the outside, you know, just the general media's messages, the, that would be cruel and rude to talk to people about them getting off of welfare. Mm. You know, like it, that it's, the only, it's only compassionate to keep them government dependent. Mm. But what I found is my message was so well received. These people were so thrilled. They were like, you give us hope. You talk to us like we have value. They, they have the same human desires as everybody else. They want to live in peace. They want to enjoy their families. They want to have personal dignity. And you don't give somebody personal dignity by making them weak. You help them by making them strong and teaching them truth. You know, the truth will set you free. And so getting the truth that they need, teaching them the attitudes of, and in fact, really just what we talked about, this resenting the rich. No one had ever told them that resentment repelled blessing. 
No one ever told them to look at what talents they already had, and even if they could only do a little bit, even if they weren't physically, you know, uh, totally healthy, for them to figure out what could you do, where could you volunteer. If you can't go get a job, go volunteer at your church. Go volunteer at one of the parks, at one of the ministries. Go teach children, read to children. Do something to feel like you've contributed to society. And when you talk to them in this way, it's like you're seeing them as individuals. You look in their eyes and you see who is this wonderful person inside of here that's gotten buried in bad circumstances and sad things that have happened. And some of their stories, I mean, there were nights when all I could do is just sit and and cry mm-hmm. over the tragedy, the human, the loss, and then see that perpetuates to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so we really spent a lot of time, even with the mothers up there, about how do you help your sons learn to be productive when all they have ever seen are either a bad example or no example of what a man is meant to be and how does a man provide for his family. So it it was really rewarding. It was delightful. And these are just great folks. I mean, I just love people, and I love people. I don't care, you know, what their background is, where they're from, what language they speak. There is a commonness among us of having a desire to this personal dignity and this personal worth and value. Uh, It's called a kingdom purpose is one of the words for it, but everyone has within them a desire to make a contribution. And Mm -hmm. when you steal that from them, and I don't mean the redefined word contribution as in, uh, you know, just uh, pay more taxes, but I mean to really contribute uh, to society by leaving it a better place than you find it. Mm -hmm. And you start addressing even the poorest, most disadvantaged person in that way, and you will find that point, that spark within them that can be ignited and will turn their life around. So, you know, it, it's a delight. It's a delight to be able to share with them the information that they need. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Marley. We've come to the end of our time. Um, I've been talking with Dr. Marley McMillan about poverty and effective and inexpensive ways to deal with it. Uh, we also covered homeschool leaders and um, the herd mentality. Dr. Marlene's books, she's written a lot of books, can be found at her website online at whylibertymatters.com. And if you push the products button, it gives a whole list of all of her books and how you can get them. As an entrepreneur, Dr. Marlene studied her doctor while homeschooling her seven children, showing that we can have lives, us mums, while educating our own. Thank you so much for joining me today. Your ideas have definitely put the thinking cogs in motion, and I'm sure my listeners will agree that um, your ideas are just incredible. You have a wonderful weekend, and I wish you every success for the work you're doing to um, promote the um what the the lack of poverty or working on it with your churches and um the interesting um speeches that you give and the talks that you give thank you so much well thank you vivian and blessings to you and yours and to all your listeners thank you so much bye 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 well before i go on to something else i just had a little bit of um what i had to finish in my um first little piece there we i was talking about the fact that I had 
I started to think about why bother having children if you hardly ever see them, some people would say to me. And I started to think, how many hours did I spend with my children in a week versus how many hours I spent at the office? And I could spend up to 60 hours a week at the office. And I counted it one week and I spent like maybe 25 hours with my children. And I thought, that is not right because, you know, children being children, they weren't always quality hours. So God at that point began talking to me or maybe the ear to my heart pricked up because our whole life, once again, was upended by an interesting idea. And um, we all know that that was homeschooling. And I will talk more about homeschooling and finances next week. Um, we were talking about my daughter trying to get a loan to buy a car because we needed a couple of cars. And having established that in essence we had to buy the two cars, I locked onto my preset idea about the vehicle I wanted to buy, which is always a mistake. I had to have a car that did good miles to the gallon, which of course is, is a consideration with the gas prices going up. But I also wanted to spend less than $10,000 on both my cars. And here's where my Texan gave me one of his blue-eyed looks. So I began to pray. Malia was being all her generation and looking on Craigslist, not my Texan's idea of a used car lot. But Dortz also had some idea of the wheels she would be happy to settle with. For her, looks were everything. So this computer search led to a Saab, which in turn led to our trusty insurance agent and longtime friend, since we knew nothing about Saabs. He said not to touch them as the company was no longer in business, so parts were hard to get. But he had a client who was selling his Lexus that both his children had used as first cars. A bit long in the tooth, but well looked after and worth a shifty. The price was right, and Malia came along. She told us boldly that she didn't want a grandmother car. It turned out to be black and stylish, no hint of a grandmother about it. And after taking a test drive, she was hooked. And it suits her. In fact, I'd love to have it, but it only has it has a lot of miles on it. So I told her she looked like a wealthy Highland Park girl driving around in her mum's car. We bought it on the spot and the two of us went off to our hairdresser. Things to do, place to go, people to see when we first returned. And my cowboy went off to look at the car lots he was more familiar with. And while we were waiting for streaks to set and shaping to reach perfection, we got a message saying that he had found a PT cruiser on the side of the road. Well, not literally on the side of the road, but in a car park along the road with a for sale sign in it. It wasn't exactly what I was hoping for because we'd already had a PT cruiser, but God was working his plan and we went along for another shifty with our new hairstyles and we loved it. And we bought it too. That was the quickest load of cash I've parted with in a long time. And now I'm torn between the cruiser, Rosabella, yes, she's red, and the Lexus, Muriel. Praise the Lord, we were able to buy two cars for under 10000 which is what our bank account needed. And here's your sign, says God. <laughs> and I was looking at some photographs. We'd done, I'd loaded some photographs when we came back. And... Um, and there was a picture of a yummy meal that we had at Heathrow Airport. My Texan and his daughter, who was traveling with us, of course, have had this food dream for years. So we fulfilled it to celebrate having survived and thrived our year in England. 
and escape just before the craziness of the Olympics. We sat at one of those swanky seafood champagne bars and had dinner. People walked past and glanced at the menu and hurried on to a more reasonable restaurant. And I have to admit that our shrimp, salmon, herrings and oysters, plus other fishy delights with salad and sauces and breads were delicious and the portions were adequate for sharing. We were offered dessert that passed in favour of a stop at WH Smith's for the last of the English chocolate. And we still haven't received a DVD of Malia's final performance. And I do so want to show off her talent to all my family and friends. We went to both shows and I was worried, silly me, that I wouldn't be able to spot her among all the other dancers with their hair done up in identical French pleats with quiffs in front. But of course I could. She was tall and her hair quiff was extra high. To say that she shone would be an understatement and to say that she was faking it would be a lie. There's no way she could have performed like that if her heart wasn't in it 100% or more. I realised both evenings without a shadow of a doubt that the stage is where she needs to be. Some of the agents in the audience specifically asked for her to audition for a pantomime in the West End and for P&O Cruise Lines, but she wasn't going to be in town. But her ego was pumped for her return to America. And we're so proud of her. If she wasn't in a big number because of coordinating costume changes and catching her breath, she was featured with a small group that came in halfway through the number. And a week after she came home, she auditioned for a Dallas dance company and got in. So she's on her way. And um, we did a little bit of sightseeing before we left London. And we were pretty sad, actually, when we left, um, regardless of the fact that she had a boyfriend to come home to and we had children in our house to come back to. We, we kind of got used to our life, our, our year there in a different culture. But we were quite happy to have the sun, but it's very hot here. And I think I'd better wrap up for another week and catch my breath. I hope you've had fun listening to me and my guest. I'm off to Lindale to visit the mother-in-law this weekend and to catch up with my hard-working staff at Tokenet Radio. Yay! And it's not such a long drive as Corpus Christi last weekend. I'll be here, same time, same place, next week on Tokenet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. Thanks for the wonderful weekend in Corpus, Paris. The hard-working staff at Tokenet Radio, my guest, Dr. Marlene McMillan, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannity, Tina, Rosemary, Pam, Charlotte, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. And may the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number six, 24 to 26. Doop, doop, doop. Doop, And I'm off to pack. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Tokyo.